Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Well, once again, I want to welcome everybody here to our uh, sleep-in service. To those of you that are watching online, uh, these are my people. They don't get up till the crack of noon, and I love them, and they are fully caffeinated, and we are ready to do this together. If you were here last weekend, we saw God do some incredible things, and I just want to make one thing completely clear. We did nothing. He did everything and all the glory belongs to him and goes to him and we give it back to him. And we're just thankful that we got a front row seat to see some people make the most important decision of their life, which is to give their heart to Jesus. And so I want to thank you for being a church that loves people that are messy and that we are walking alongside of them. We just think that's fantastic. We've been doing a series called Identity Theft based on a simple idea that if I was the devil, and I'm not, so you're clear, all right? Someone say amen, okay, all right? Okay, I'm not the devil, but if I was and I wanted to push people away from Jesus, this is what I would do. I would stop at nothing to convince them that they are permanently defined by their worst moment. I would want them to know that they are their failures. That's what I would try to convince them of. I would convince them that God had removed himself from them because he couldn't stand the sight of them because they were defined by that worst moment in their life. That's what I would do. We've been trying to fracture that idea by learning something about ourselves. We've been learning that there is a truth about our failures, and we can't deny that. Every one of us in the room has a past. If you don't have one or don't believe that you have one, we have a class in denial that we want you to take right out of the gate. But we've been learning that while there is a truth about us from our past, there's a greater truth. And that that greater truth is that God says, this is who you are. And I need you to believe it. Starts all the way back in the creation account of Genesis 1 and 2. We've been reading this little statement over the last couple of weeks and praying that it's going to make an 18-inch drop from our brain down into our heart. We all know this is the longest distance in the universe, right? We can know something up here, but until it drops down here, it doesn't make any difference. So we've been actually reading a confession together over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to ask you to read it with me out loud 
Even if you don't believe it, I'm just going to ask you to entertain the idea along with me, okay? Let's start at I was created and read it out loud together. Let's do it together, okay? I was created in the image of God, uniquely and intentionally, for the purpose of glorifying Jesus in everything I do. The fingerprints of God are on my soul. We've been praying that God would reveal that to us, and today we're going to start talking about ourself just a little. Every one of us starts off as a self, okay? We're going to put it right in the center there so that everybody can, can see it. You started as a completely happy, narcissistic, change my diaper and feed me little self. I started off as a tiny little Grant Ernest Fishbook, okay? Don't make fun of my middle name. I'm named after my dad, all right? I was me, and that was enough, and my parents loved me, and that was enough. But somewhere along the line, my little self didn't measure up, and people told me that. You're not good at math. Your B plus is just not quite good enough. Or maybe for you, it was the kids made fun of, of what you wore, and you couldn't keep up with the fashion trends. Or maybe, maybe you were like me if you actually came from my background. When, when I was confronted with that moment when my coach said, Grant, you're an okay hockey player, but you're not good enough. As a Canadian, that is awful to hear. <laughs> awful. So that little self inside of me came to believe that I was inferior. So I, I surrounded myself with a circle called shame. I don't think I'm the only one in the room that's done that. I defined myself by what other people said. And because I didn't want to be attacked by their words, I drew another circle to protect myself and to hide from all of the areas where I didn't measure up. And that became the false self, or as I would introduce myself to you, me. That was the me that I wanted you to see. It's the character that I portray. It's a role that I choose. And I use props to try and convince you that that's the real me. In fact, I may even use good things in my life to make myself more lovable. I might use things like humor or intelligence or talking or, or anything that I can grab a hold of to convince you that, that this self down here, that's not the real me. It's that outer ring. And the problem with that is I get caught in a lie at some point. All of us have believed a lie at some point. If we didn't, we would all be completely comfortable with that little self in the middle, but the truth is that we're not. Here's a funny thing about lies, even a believed lie. A believed lie will always leave you with broken conclusions. Maybe you've heard this said before. If you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer, right? It just makes sense. That's true. It's also true, if you believe a lie, you're inevitably going to end up with a series of wrong and broken conclusions. So here's the lie that at some level, every little self in the room, and nobody gets to duck and weave this one, because it's just part of the human condition. Every single little self in the room believes this to be true. I only matter if blank. I only matter if I'm successful. I only matter if everybody in the room likes me. I only matter if I perform not just to the standard, but above the standard. I only matter when no one else is mad at me. I only matter if I make the honor roll. I only matter if I get it right more than I get it wrong. I only matter if I measure up to the beauty standards that's reflected back to me in the photoshopped glossy pictures that I see on the magazine rack. I only matter if I get that job or this title. I only matter if my kids are successful mom and dad. 
I only matter if I can hide successfully from my own shame. I only matter if I can survive on the outer rings and keep as many people as possible away from that real self because if they got to know that real me, they wouldn't like me. I know there's rejection waiting there for me somewhere. I only matter if my self-medicating continues to be a secret. I only matter if I can keep all the plates spinning all the time because God forbid one of them ever hit the floor because that would be a colossal failure. I only matter if. I put it in your outline and I left it blank. And I'm going to challenge you to be courageous enough to actually write down your answer. I've watched the last two services as soon as I said that, and it's hilarious because people are like, I'm not writing down anything. (laughs) Because if somebody saw that, what would they think about me? So we go into fourth or fifth grade mode and we try to cover our answer, right? And (laughs) I'm going to write it down, but maybe I'll do it after church. And the reason is because every single one of us struggles as a little tiny self because we really do want to matter, but we've been living with a lie our whole life. I only matter if. So I'm going to challenge you courageously. Would you write it down? I'll even give you an awkward moment to do it. Four of you are doing it. Thank you. Now you wrote it down, or you're thinking it in your head, or maybe it's even coming from your heart, and now I've got a challenge for you. I want you to say it out loud, but I don't want you to say it out loud to yourself. I'd like you to say it out loud to Jesus. Too much? Okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. I've told this crowd many, 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 many times, I'm addicted to people-pleasing. I want everybody to like me 100% of the time, and my universe is not right if I think that I'm sideways with somebody. Some of you right now are not liking me and I just want to hug every single person in the room because I need you to like me a little bit more even though this is uncomfortable for all of us right now. So I've confessed that to you. I'm a people pleaser. So I'm going to say that. I only matter if all of you love me. I'm going to say that, but I'm not going to say it to you. I'm going to say it to Jesus. Jesus, I only matter when everyone but you approves of me. doesn't sit very well, does it? And every week I'm confronted with, with the pain and the, and the anguish of that because I get stuck in myself really, really easy. In fact, every week I have to, I have to steal myself when I come out here because I, I have to make a shift in my brain. And the shift that I've made and continue to make every single week is this. And I know this is difficult for some of you to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. The only person's approval that I care about when it comes to this message is an audience of one. And his name is Jesus, because he's the only one that I'm talking to or about. So your approval, honestly, for your good and for my good, your approval should matter, not to me. In fact, I can tell you this, the worst thing that you can ever say to me after a message is, Pastor, that was a really nice message. It's not supposed to be nice. It's supposed to be stirring. It's supposed to be convicting. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to actually move all of us. And that's why I don't preach to you guys. I preach to me 100% of the time because I'm in this struggle with myself all of the time. I'm going to tell you something too. The message always goes way better when I preach it to Jesus, not you. 
because I'm supposed to be seeking his approval. So are you. So let's go back to the circles for a second, because here's what's really, really interesting to me. The world actually tells us that this is cool. And in some ways it is. The world actually tells us. It will, if you, I mean, you read one self-help book and it will tell you, if you get back to, to your true self, that authentic self at the bottom of you, that's actually an important part of the self-actualizing, uh, self-actualization journey. But here's the problem. What if Jesus doesn't want you to settle for your true self? What if Jesus has a better idea? What if he wants you, instead of settling for your little self, to embrace this? What if he wanted to convince you that the best way to live your life is to fully embrace your identity as a son of the Most High God? What if, what if the best way for you as a lady in this room is to acknowledge the fact that you are a daughter of the Most High God and that you don't need to waste your time chasing some prince around the world because you're already secure in the identity that your heavenly father is a king. What if that made you worthy of honor and respect? Guys, what if we actually figured that out? What if that's the true calling of every single one of us in the room, that we are a son or a daughter, and that embracing that is a better choice than just coming back to our true self? My friend Jeff sent me a confession of identity a couple weeks back. It speaks to my need to have you approve of me. So I'm just going to read it out loud. And I thank my friend for actually sending it to me. So let me read it. And I'm just going to ask you to soak this in. Because what if we could all believe this to be true? I am the blood-bought, beloved son of my heavenly father. My value to him is not determined by my performance, my achievements, or the assessment of my life by others, or even my own personal assessment of my own life. Because I'm loved completely by the most important person in the universe, I have only one goal and one measuring stick for my life. Am I pleasing to him? And am I fulfilling his plans for my life? That's all that matters. That's the target of my life, and reaching it is where I draw my deepest satisfaction. Because I am loved, I can live with nothing to prove, I can live with nothing to hide. I can freely be about the unique plans that God has for my life, trusting him with the results. Being the son, the husband, the father, and the witness that he created me to be is what brings my father pleasure and lasting satisfaction and reward to me. So I refuse to live one more day listening to the lie that Satan has so deeply reinforced in my life. I don't have to earn my father's acceptance or my own self-acceptance through my performance or perfecting my life. I am free to live with nothing to lose and nothing to prove. I might need to say that to myself every day for the rest of my life for it to sink in. 
I might need to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. I might have to man up and go a little bit more bold, and we seem to have been on a bit of a roll when it comes to boldness, so I'm going to ask you to push all in with me today. Let's have an honest, blunt conversation, and if you need company, you can bring your little self with you, and that will be awesome. So, let's just talk about what would it take to change the self to son? What would it take to change the self to daughter? Well, I think if that's going to happen, Jesus is going to need something from us. I broke it down this way. Jesus needs me to be his and his alone. There's no such thing as dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. You can't serve God in money. You can't serve Jesus in anything else. He's either fully and completely king or he's not king at all. When I turned 18 years old, I had to make a decision. I was born in Zweibrücken, West Germany. My father was a member of Her Royal Majesty's Royal Canadian Air Force. So I was born in Germany on a Canadian military base. And so when I came home, I brought with me this fancy little German birth certificate that said I was born on German soil. So in one form, I had German citizenship, but I was born to a Royal Canadian Air Force member, so I also had Canadian citizenship. And when I was 18 years old, I had to make a decision, because I got a letter from the German government that said, if you embrace your German citizenship, here's what's going to happen. We're going to require two years of compulsory military service from you in the German army. Now that freaked me out just a little, because I didn't speak German. And I had no interest in being part of the German military. So faced with a choice of dual citizenship, thank you, Jesus, I had an option to go home to Canada, which was good for me at the time, which then allowed us to immigrate to the United States of America. So years ago, Laurel and added blue to our red and white. Some of you got that. The rest of you should talk to a neighbor. <laughs> Just look at the flag. Okay, you'll get it. All right. But I got to make a decision based on my citizenship. Each one of you today gets to make a decision about your citizenship. He's either 100% God and king or he's not king at all. Either every day you completely vacate the throne of your life so that Jesus can be king or let's be honest, you're just playing spiritual games. You got real quiet. Listen to the Bible in Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It's He who made us. We are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We're His. He has either full ownership or no ownership. This is His flock. This is His church. I'm going to remind you again. We didn't do anything on Easter. He did everything. To God be the glory for every single thing that He did. You know what we got? We got a front row seat on what Jesus was up to last weekend. That's what we got. How blessed are we as a group of people? Listen to Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we've acknowledged all through this series, if I belong to him, I'm at war with my old nature. 
I don't want that old part of me to come back to life again. So I make a declaration. I'm not going down without a fight because I understand something. That victory that was won over my old nature was not won by me. That was won by Jesus himself and his victory was full and complete. So if he was victorious, why in the world do I live defeated? Could it be because we're trying to live in two different kingdoms at the same time? Leads me to the next point. If I'm to change self to son or self to daughter, then Jesus needs me to be obedient. You know, we could all talk a big game about Jesus. We can all even agree. Most people do. Jesus was awesome. Great moral teacher, incredibly empathetic. He loves, I mean, Jesus was just awesome, especially, you know, the light-skinned, feathered hair, bathrobe-wearing Jesus that just gives everybody a hug and slaps you a high-five in when you do something bad. I mean, that's, I love that Jesus. He's fantastic. I'm talking about true discipleship, which comes down to a simple question. You might love Jesus. Are you doing what Jesus said? Are you doing what he told you to do? Let's test it. Are you doing what Jesus said when he said, forgive your enemies? Not just the people you like or the people you tolerate. Forgive your enemies. Are you feeding the poor because Jesus said we're supposed to do that? Are you living generously and sacrificially or are you hoarding all of your stuff for your comfort? Let's try this one. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? We've been talking about that one. I'll be honest with you. I just want to love my neighbor as much as he loves me. <laughs> and let's just call it good, right? You bring up my garbage can, I'll bring up your garbage can. We'll call it good. It's fine. Mind your own business. Stay on your side of the fence. Everything is just fine. That's not what scripture says. Jesus said we're supposed to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. I don't know about you, but I do a really good job of loving me. Don't think I'm the only one. Are you counting the real cost of following Jesus? Listen to him talk. Luke chapter 11, he replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commands. I mean, let's be honest with that. It means if I'm not fulfilling that command, then I got to ask myself the question, if I'm not being obedient, do I really love him as much as I say I do? Let's keep going. If I'm going to change self to son, Jesus needs me to be weak. Some of you are like, what? What's up with that? That can't be right. Come on, Grant. This is a dog-eat-dog world. It's eat or be eaten. That's the way it's supposed to work out there. It's not what Jesus says. Listen to the Holy Spirit of God speaking to the Apostle Paul and Paul responding and see how this sits with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that in Christ's power that it may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. When was the last time instead of whining and complaining about a tough week, when was the last time you said, this was the hardest week of my life, it was awesome. I got crushed this week, it was fantastic. 
This is the worst week of my life. I got persecuted by a bunch of people for praying over my bologna sandwich in the lunchroom. Yes, finally I'm getting there. You know why we don't do that? Because we don't understand that. Because the cultural teleprompter that we read every single day says, no, you've got to be strong. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And Jesus says, actually, here's what you need to know. When you're really, really weak and everything seems to be broken around you, that's my front door to walk into your life and make you realize something. This is not about you. A son of God recognizes all of our strength comes from God. There's a reason scripture says that we must decrease and he must increase. There's a reason why scripture says without Jesus, I can do absolutely nothing. So when I embrace those weak moments, in those moments, Jesus shines as our greatest hope. If you're a little freaked out by that one, because none of us like to embrace weakness. None of us wants to welcome hardship. If that one freaks you out, you're going to be really freaked out with the next one. Let's go there. If I'm going to exchange self for son or self for daughter, Jesus actually needs me dead. Dead to self. Dead to my selfish agenda. Dead to my need to be needed. Dead to my need for for a lot of material stuff because after all, that's what really satisfies. Dead to my vision for my life. Dead to my belief that I can do this on my own. I want to really reinforce something to you because it's so unbelievably important. You need to understand it whether you'll recognize it or not. The only reason you're here and breathing today is because Jesus said you got to be here. Because he's the breath of life. And we struggle with that. Dying to self, I think it's the most difficult thing that Jesus asks his followers to do. Because I don't know about you, but myself, that little self, he wants to live really bad. And living completely for Christ means I've got to make a decision. Either I'm all in with Jesus or I'm all in with me. Having been a pastor for 30-ish years now, don't do the math, Okay. But I sit in my office, especially with young people, it's heartbreaking when they come in and they say, Grand, I'm struggling with the thoughts of trying to take my own life. I'm actually thinking about the fact that I think the world would be better off without me and I don't know what to do. And and it's a struggle inside of them. And I always encourage them as best I can to respond to the enemy of their soul that's trying to convince them that life's not worth living. I try to convince them that there's only one way to respond to the enemy in that moment. You have to say, under the authority of Jesus' name, not today. Not today. today. And the reason it's not today is because you, my spiritual enemy, you can't kill a dead man. Said, where does that come from? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That scripture says I've been crucified with Christ. On Good Friday, we actually mourn that death. That Jesus took the worst of us on the cross Not so that we would spiritually come, that he would give us new life in Christ. 
I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead, but now Jesus lives in me. This life is not mine to live as I please. This life is his, so I live it for him and by him and through him. And he proved it because he loved me so much. He was willing to take the worst of me to the cross with him to pay a penalty I couldn't pay. That's just a beautiful gift the week after Easter, isn't it? Amazing. So that's it right there. If you want to know your true identity, you have to be his and his alone. There's no room for dual citizenship. You have to be obedient. You have to embrace weakness and you got to be willing to die to yourself. Some of you are thinking, Jesus needs to go to Barnes and Noble. He needs to go to the self-help section because this is the most upside down thing that I have ever heard. I mean, in the world that I live in, you need to be yours, not his. You need to make your own rules. You're not supposed to be obedient to this ancient metaphor of a book. You need to be strong, overcome, and win. You don't need to die. You need to actually live. That's what all the books say. Can I ask a question? Says who? Can I say something else? Not today. Not today. I have to ask this myself, do I actually want to listen to what the world is telling me is true or do I want to return to that original moment when God put the fingerprints of his heart, Father, Son, and Spirit on my soul? Could it be that God actually wants me to be a human being and not a human doing? Could it actually be that God is actually in love with that little piece of me deep down inside of my soul that he actually wants me to embrace, not the little self that I thought I was, but the self that he created me to be, that son, that daughter, that precious child of the king. So I had no idea how to wrap this thing up. I got to this point earlier in the week and uh, I just got stuck there. And I had to sit in it for a little while and, and realize this is a struggle. I deal with this struggle every single day, just like you guys do. Don't think you're immune to any of this stuff because someone straps a microphone to your head once a week. We all have to go to war with this. But I found a friend in scripture. I love Peter. Peter's got a big mouth and an attitude. <laughs> I just love this guy. He was always talking a big game about following Jesus. I mean, he was there. He would tell Jesus, I'll follow you no matter what. But Jesus knew better. He knew Peter was going to walk away. He knew that. But there's a conversation that has always fascinated me between Jesus and Peter. It's in Luke chapter 22. It starts at about verse 32. You can read it if you think I'm lying to you. And let me just set it up for you really, really briefly. It's right after communion. They've done it for the very first time. Jesus just had a moment where he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is for you. There's a new covenant in action right now. And, and, and as the disciples often did, right after communion, I mean, I don't even know how you justify this. Right after communion, they start having an argument over which one of them is more important. Like, you know, let's have communion together and then let's argue about, well, I healed more people than you did. Oh yeah, well, Jesus put me in charge of the money. Oh yeah, well, Jesus hired me to do his taxes. I mean, they start having this argument and then Jesus drops a bomb in the middle of the conversation. Stops everybody. Just so you're not confused, before Peter was Peter, he was Simon. Simon. 
God changed his name. It's a beautiful moment in scripture when he puts all the pieces back together again. So this is before that. So Jesus is talking to Simon, but it's Peter, same guy. And he says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. My brothers and sisters, Satan asked the same thing about you this coming week. He wants to sift you. He wants to pressure you. He wants to win you over. He wants to convince you that dual citizenship is actually an option. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, all 12 of you, all eight or 900 of you. He's asked to sift you as wheat. Do you know what I love about that little part of the verse? Satan has to ask permission. Because he's subservient to the king of kings. He's a mouse on a leash. We need to remember that all of the time. The prince of darkness is nothing compared to the king of light. Nothing. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat. And then Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. Let me translate that ancient language. That's Jesus saying, not today. He asked to sift you as wheat, not today. Today, you're not going to be tossed up in the air and purified. Today, the challenge isn't going to be too great for you, not today. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Here's the heartbreaking part of it. Jesus knew it was going to fail. Exactly what was going to happen to Peter. And Peter's faith did fail. It did. We can't deny it. He denied Jesus in one of the most critical moments of his life. He played the role of of coward. He he filled in the blank this way. I only matter if I'm in the center of Jesus' world and Jesus is still alive. Jesus knew Peter was going to play a role, but he also knew something else. He knew that Peter was going to come back. Back from the very place of denial, back from failure, back from the place of shame. Listen to the whole verse. It's amazing. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then he says this, and when you have turned back, Jesus knew he was going to walk away, but he also knew he was going to come home. A lot of people came home last weekend. Welcome back. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Peter, when you finally have that war inside of your soul, that this is not about yourself, that this is about you as a son of the most high God, when you lived out that war and you even had moments when you failed and you fell down, there's going to come a moment when you're going to come back. That's the beautiful grace of God. And when you return, you're actually going to be used, your broken story, to encourage everybody else. Last week, we saw three stories from three people who walked the wrong way and then they came back. And we bragged about them because of what Jesus did. I got another story for you next week. We couldn't fit it into Easter, so we gave it its own slot. Next week is baptism. I wanna share with you a story that will leave your jaw on the floor. 
Don't miss it. Peter finally figured it out. If you really want to grasp your full identity, you have to be his. You have to obey. You have to embrace weakness. You have to die to yourself. If Peter was here today, he would say, my brothers and my sisters in the room, if you want to replace self with son or self with daughter, this is what needs to happen. I only matter if Jesus matters more than anything. That's the place of true identity. So today, instead of going out into the world and playing games, what if the people of God said, not today? What if we chose to fully embrace our identity in Jesus? What if we were actually that group of eternal fools who said, I will declare one citizenship, the citizenship of heaven. I will be fully and completely obedient to God my Savior this coming week. I will embrace weakness even though the world tells me that's just absolutely irrational. And I will choose this week not to live for myself. I'm going to die to Him. What might happen in this county if we simply chose to embrace our true identity? Would you pray with me this morning? God, right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and convict every single person in this room who has never gone public in their faith with Jesus and been baptized. And I pray that they would be fully obedient, that they would die to their own fear or die to their own whatever. God, and I pray next week you would fill the tank with people who are simply willing to say, I'm declaring my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. God, no more excuses. No more pretending that we're following God. We, are, we choose today to live out the fingerprints of God that are on our soul. Lord, give us courage to declare our loyalty and our allegiance to Jesus and Jesus alone. God, thank you that as we encounter spiritual opposition this week, that we have the comfort of knowing that the King of Kings is praying for us, praying that our faith would be strong. God, would you allow that faith to be fortified in Jesus' name? And anything good that comes out of it, we will give all the glory back to you because it is for you, by you, and through you that anything good happens. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.